I feel good. How you feel? I just drank half a pot of coffee. I think I'll be all right. Hey, and welcome to the Meet Your Heroes podcast. My name is Elliot. And I'm Audrey. And this is the podcast where we throw conventional wisdom out the window and get to know the real people, generally terrible people, that our heroes really are. 30, 60 minutes, depending on how shitty the person was. Always that. 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how uh, much of my notes you let me read. Yes. Versus how much I have to spitball. I would hope someday, when hard-pressed, people would not be able to spend 30 minutes recounting how shitty I am. Oh, they will for sure at least <laughs> spend 30 minutes talking about what a dickhead I am. There's no doubt about it. Listen, that's why we can do this podcast. As shitty as we may be in our lives at points, we are we are shitty on a personal scale as opposed to a systemic scale. Yeah, we're shitty in the like, yeah, we'll help you build that guillotine sort of way. <laughs> but not the uh, we're going to leverage our privilege to oppress other people sort of way. Yeah. The best we can. The best we can. The best we can. All right, so speaking of shitty people... Speaking of shitty people. I've got one for you today. Okay. So this is a person that a lot of people consider like a legitimate hero. Like adored, loved, not the sort of like, oh, well, we all know Churchill's kind of a dick. Or, you know, Napoleon, everybody knows he's bad. This is maybe going to fuck up some people's childhood nostalgia. Oh, my God. All right. Okay. Who, Audrey? Who is our hero today? Today, we are talking about Dr. Seuss. Oh, man. Yikes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, born Theodore Seuss Giesel. Yes. Um, we know him as Dr. Seuss. Yeah, let's just say, as clearly in the hero column, because probably between 99 and 100% of people in America, at least listening to this, have like, fond childhood memories mm. of reading these books mm-hmm. that he's written. We've read them to our own daughter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure. We've seen Alec Baldwin in a Dr. Seuss movie. That's how, like, ubiquitous this person is. Right? Yes. Classics include... One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Cat in the Hat, Horton Hears a Who, The Grinch. Beloved Christmas Tale. Beloved. Um, but before we go any further, I, I want to give credit to someone who basically laid the groundwork to make this possible, this specific podcast. So obviously there's Wikipedia, but um, I got a lot of this information from this person uh, named Jamie Lauren. I believe it's Kyle's. Could be Kiel's. Um, so without further ado, let's talk about Dr. Seuss. Uh, he was born in 1904, mm-hmm. just laying some groundwork. Born in Massachusetts, turn of the century, normal childhood. Okay. Um, his dad managed a brewery and um, then did something for the park service during Prohibition. Totally normal childhood, had a sister, two parents, cush gig, early 1920s, goes to Dartmouth. Uh, at Dartmouth, he joins the Sigma Phi Epsilon fraternity. He's pretty popular. He Frat boy. Frat boy, yes. Um, 
popped collar Dr. Seuss ends up <laughs> writing for and becoming the editor of a humor publication called the Dartmouth Jack-O-Lantern. Okay, like the onion of its day then? The onion of the day, uh, mad magazine type style, cartoons, humor, I imagine just for men. Like Dartmouth is just boys in the 1920s, right? Maybe a few women, but probably just the worst humor you could imagine 1920s dr seuss at an ivy league college yes gross um but uh normal childhood his college years are not without scandal he gets caught drinking gin in 1924 ish you're hold hold on hold on you're saying Mm mm-hmm a frat boy yes was drinking gin to be specific wow 4 years into prohibition so the dean is like i'll have mercy on you you're not going to be kicked out but you can no longer do any extracurricular activities and that includes oh wait this is like a this is like not a common this is a big deal yeah it's a big deal oh. yeah yeah oh shit okay um, <laughs> he can no longer be the editor but Dr. Seuss, the ever-persistent person he is, says, no, no, no. Um, at this time, he's still Theodore Giesel. He says, what if I just, like, submit all of my stories with the pen name Dr. Seuss? Mm. Which is just, like, a shocking thing to me that this school that has all of his records would not know that he's using his middle name as his pen name. Wait, this is his middle name? Yeah, Theodore Seuss Giesel. Oh, this is that's not like just the stage name here we're talking. This no, is no, like No, he was just like, mm, okay, so I can't be Teddy Giesel anymore. I guess I'll be hmm Dr. Seuss. Well, okay, yeah, uh seems like they are kind of asleep at the wheel here. Sleep at the wheel. Or they turned a blind eye because he's whatever. Uh so he's writing all these stories. He graduates Dartmouth in 1925, and he's like, you know what I'm going to do with my talents? I am going to go to London and study at Oxford to become an English teacher. Get a PhD in English literature, come back, teach some high schoolers. I mean, if you're a prep boy in 20s Ivy League, I mean, it sounds like the preppiest of prep routes you could take. So I, I buy that. For sure. So he goes to Oxford. He meets this woman. Her name is Helen Palmer, and she, they, their love interests, they spark up a romance, and she notices that he's, like, constantly doodling in these notebooks. And so, as she puts it, she, quote-unquote, goes about setting to divert him. Wait, divert him? Yes. She was like, you know what? This man that I'm about to pony up to, <laughs> he is going to put a ring on it. Instead of being a PhD English teacher, it would be super neat if he could be a cartoonist. Wait, what? This is probably the first uh, woman in history to be like, could you give up your tenure track job for Mm -hmm. your uh, doodling, please? Yeah, it's actually a pretty good bet. She gets him to drop out of Oxford. He goes back to Massachusetts. There, he starts submitting all of his writings and doodles to magazines all around the country. And within a few months, so he goes back in February. By July, he has been paid $25 by the Saturday Evening Post to 
for this one specific cartoon. Dr. Seuss is like, fuck yes, $25. Anytime we say $25 and it's like earlier than 1950, I just imagine, oh, that's about a million dollars. <laughs> <It's about laughs> yeah, I actually didn't do that conversion, but a million dollars sounds right that's for right. the one cartoon. In the- yeah. Okay, so uh, let's be $10,000. I don't know. It's, it's, oh, it's, I bet it's, I would thousand, say 500 bucks. 500 bucks. Okay. 500 bucks. He's just like, mm-hmm. it's, it's money. Yes. And he's like, this $500, I am so talented. I'm going to leave Massachusetts and go to New York City because I've got this $25 burning a hole in my pocket. I've got Helen back in London. She believes in me. Let's do this thing. He's got $25 in his pocket and a dream in his heart. He's going to New York <laughs> a City. dream in his heart. So uh, it's actually a pretty legit dream. He moves to New York City and within a few months is a staff writer and illustrator for this magazine. It's called Judge Magazine. And it's like a humorous magazine. I've never heard of it. Didn't even look it up. Don't know. Not around today. Not around today. Within a month, he has this big, huge hit of a cartoon. So they're like, he's like cranking out cartoons. He's writing. He's just dropping like singles right from the jump he is he yes he is he's like selling cds out of the trunk of his car he's like hey you guys listen to this this mixtape um and it goes really well for him and within a few months he like randomly puts this very specific product in one of his cartoons just like in passing and this product um was called flit and it was a pesticide that It was like one of the very first pesticides that was for homeowners to use on their lawn, right? So we're about to start like monocropping lawns all across the country. Um, So the writer that I mentioned earlier notes that his catchphrase for this product that somehow gets him very famous, like it's a long story, but puts it in this original ad or this original cartoon this ad executive's wife sees this cartoon at her hairdresser, calls her husband, and is like, you need to sign this man. He's going to make you so wealthy. He leaves Judge and goes to be just like advertisement campaign manager for Flit. Wait, this is a real... He just like drew some random product in there and mm-hmm. like the wife is like, mm-hmm. hire this boy. I feel like that's like a, a movie scene. Like, you know, get this boy off the streets and bring him... Wow. Yeah. It worked. Too. It, you know, it was a much smaller world back then. Definitely so it was. much yes. smaller. Um, but the the writer that I mentioned earlier, Jamie, says his catchphrase, quick, Henry, the flit, quote, help to normalize the use of toxic household poisons in America. Which is true. Ooh. It also makes him mad bank. He gets so wealthy writing ad, ad campaigns for this pesticide that is that he then later... This company is later then bought by, like, ExxonMobil. So then he's writing, like, pesticides and oil campaigns. Oh, well, right? then. <laughs> just the best of both worlds on that one. Right? I just... Can you simultaneously manage to poison children and the atmosphere? It's the least shitty of the things he's about to do. Um, so he gets famous really quickly. Uh, they get very wealthy, so much so that uh, he can choose to work when he wants, and he and his wife travel the world. Right? How old is he? Like, in his 30s? Yeah. At this point, he's, like, in his 30s. Man, just imagine. Get, you put a random pesticide in a humor cartoon and then get rich selling poison to households and ExxonMobil to unsuspecting post-industrial countries and just travel the world at their... Ugh. 
Retire I believe that's early. what they call the first mover advantage. Yeah, that's only... He was just the first one willing to mm. advertise toxic household goods, I Man, suppose. What, what a wild time. Yep. So they're traveling. They move up in social circles. He's becoming more and more well-known. And he decides he's going to go back to his love and start writing books. Oh, wait. His love not... Okay. Mm-hmm. Was he big into books before? Because he was he like... He's a writer, like a humorist. He's doing a humor cartoon. I guess it's true. He jumped from like his substantive college humor mm-hmm. paper days mm-hmm. to the sellout world of advertising, made his dollars, and now going back to the true art of funny pictures in newspapers. Yes. Well, in books. Unironically, his first book that gets published is a book of jokes slash funny childhood sayings. And this book was called Boners. Oh. <laughs> it did not have the sexual connotation that that word has now. Wait, what sexual connotation does that have now? It did not have the <laughs> sexual connotation that that word has now. Um, but I find it hysterical. Just... Because not only was Boners a best-selling book, the sequel, More Boners, and oh. the follow-up, Still More Boners... And then the fourth book, <laughs> Prize fourth... Boners. Wait. <laughs> prize Boners? Prize Boners. They... Wow. Gangbusters. Gang... I feel like I just need Boners by Dr. Seuss on my shelf. So it's actually a book you can buy. It's called The Pocket Book of Boners by Dr. Oh, Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they top the list of nonfiction books. He publishes that publishes four more. He's gaining some popularity. This is a wild time, man. Okay. As a children's author. And he was like, you know what I Wait, mean? Boners is a book for kids? Yeah, so Boners... The pocketbook of Boners for your children. Back then, <laughs> meant like goofy things you could say that are kind of like witty and strange and like ha ha. It's not what it means now. But he writes this book. He writes four more. And he thinks to himself... Now's the time to do what I really love. And that's right, erotica. <laughs> what? So the boners was not the erotica. What? <laughs> right? So skipping boners is 1939 at this point. So he's 35. And he writes this book, The Seven Lady Godivas, colon, The True Facts Concerning History's Barest Family. The plot of this book is weird. It's hard to explain. But basically, these like seven daughters of Godiva see their dad killed because he's riding a horse. They're all naked. It's supposed to be very sexual. The problem is Dr. Seuss can only draw one fucking character. So it's just a (laughs) bunch of like naked Loraxes. (laughs) And people, it's like the middle of the Great Depression. And they're like pictures hmm It's mostly pictures. Oh, wait. Okay. Yep. Yep. And people are like, oh, so Dr. Seuss, it, this man who writes children's jokes, is trying to sell me a $2 book of naked cartoon ladies that are not sexual at all. Okay. So, so <laughs> I think I understand here. So once I'm past the weirdness of the fact that he wrote boners for kids and didn't want it to be the sexy book, mm-hmm. but then wrote... 
the naked Lorax for adults and wanted it to be the sexy book. If you get past that, it sounds like he was just before his time. Because frankly, if he wrote that and put it on the internet today, you mm. would find your people, mm. right? You don't like, even know. Yes. yes. So, yeah. so it is just that he was trying to make this mass market, and unfortunately, like. That's only going to be a market for people who don't have to go to a bookstore and ask for it in person. You are correct. It was a major, major flop. And at this point, after his soft porn for adults, his Lorax, his Lorax. I mean, it's not the Lorax technically. (laughs) Sure, they're just like imagine Doctor Seuss drawing naked women. Oh yeah, like the Mm -hmm. the 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 furry like head with like the misshapen arms. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I wasn't sure where you're going with the furry blank blank blank, but. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he did his very best, and it was terrible. Yes. And so then he says that he would, quote, unquote, rather write for children who were more appreciative, and he was no longer interested in writing for adults. Fuck you guys. I'm writing erotica for kids again. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> so then eventually he just gets, like, so mad that nobody wants to read his porn that he goes back to writing kids books he's he's actually offended by this oh yes like, he thought this... this was his calling like oh, he really man. thought oh man he has all this money he wrote these books he you know was about to get a phd from oxford he is this like writer when you luck with in, substance yeah when you luck into success that early in life you, mm-hmm. you start to he, he drew the wrong conclusion his, mm-hmm. his conclusion was that he could do no wrong right but the real conclusion was people like jokes and not Lorax porn. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really sorry, really sorry if you like Lorax porn and we're offending you right now. Yeah, not, this might not be the podcast for you. <laughs> ju- actually, not judging you. Just <laughs> not uh, at all. Not I think at all. You, I think in the part. 1930s, it's hard. It's hard to sell Lorax porn in the like 1930s. Yes, I just want to talk to our Lorax porn listeners for a second here. I just want you to know. I feel like you and us we're on the same page that you know. This is not something you can talk to your friends about. It's not. You know it's not something you bring up at work in casual conversation. So I hope you can... We're just trying to say, at the time, he had not found your people. Mm-mm. And your people are hard to find. Like, it's not... Yeah. You're not out in the, in the open. Right. Yeah, there was not yet a Reddit for this. <laughs> it's true. Oh, and there's a Reddit. I'm sure... Oh, I don't want to look, but I'm sure there's a Reddit for this. Oh, I'm going to look. And if there's a Reddit... <laughs> if there's a Lorax porn on Reddit, I'm going to put the link in our bio. No, don't. Don't. So, anyway, that's not the worst thing that's going to happen, because right after he publishes this flop of a porn, um, World War Two breaks out. So, he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop writing. I, instead, I'm going to join the army and start making propaganda films. I mean, uh, it's an army thing. It's it's what they did. It Bugs is Bunny. Army army propaganda. In partnership with the same folks who made Bugs Bunny. Really? Yes. Okay. He becomes super pro-war. Just like so pro-war, isolationist, non-interventionist. He loses his mind, cannot stand them, decides... The very best use of his talents is to go and lead this, like, animation division of the army. Um, He created an entire series that was, and this is a quote, developed with the express purpose of indoctrinating young, unworldly, and often illiterate new recruits before shipping them overseas. Oh, okay. So indoctrinate the boys before they're shipped off. 
he did that. And he also then started making incredibly racist animations. Oh. Right? So during this period, he creates a ton of explicitly and deliberately racist cartoons. These cartoons often feature the N-word, and they depict things like Japanese Americans being killed by TNT. We, we were talking World War II here. Mm-hmm. And so because we're fighting Japan, it's just kill the Japanese. Yeah. Uh, it was kill the Japanese, and it was create propaganda to get people to buy war bombs to, quote, slap a Jap smile off his face. Uh, by war bonds to bonds got it yeah and um he at the time said if we want to win we've got to kill the japs we can get palsy walsy afterward with those that are left uh palsy walsy definitely a dr seuss uh saying there because it means nothing (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's um the most racist nonsense i've heard sure i mean not racist nonsense like nonsensical racism yeah yeah it's it's weird to hear like the the hint of whimsy that dr seuss usually brings to a story uh put in the service of racism it's a little disconcerting feels bad it does it feels bad we can get all wibbly wobbly (laughs) yeah right just lighten some tnt sending a hicks to fight across seas i mean uh, you know as as terrifying and horrible as it is, it makes some sense that if you're trying to get, you know, 17-year-olds who have no idea what the world is like to go fight, Dr. Seuss books seem to make sense. I know. Ooh. Isn't that terrible? Ooh. You're like, oh, well, you know, Dick and Jane books are boring and difficult to read. What? They don't really tell a story. They're not getting us the sort of like blowing up other countries effect that we want. How do we channel your ignorant racism into like a fun killing people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Seuss to the rescue. Right. So the war ends. And this is the moment in time where his defenders try, you know, some redemption techniques, right? They're like, okay, so he was pretty shitty during the war. We when know you, this. By the way, whenever you say his defenders from now on, I'm just going to picture some guys on this Reddit just like being like yeah. <laughs> loving their Lorax porn and just like being like, you don't say a bad thing about him. <laughs> right, right. Um, so picture that. Okay, got it. Done. But Unfortunately, it's more like, hey, done. have y'all heard about Horton Hears a Who? Because that's an allegory about the American um, sort of like post-war takeover of Japan and what it means to then, like, come in and steward this protection and take care of them. I remember Horton Hears a Who and the story. Um, it, I would not have been able to put together that it was some sort of allegory for post-war Japan. But, hey, there you go. So after all of this pro-internment camp like absolute hatred of Japanese people, Japanese Americans, Dr. Seuss goes to Japan and he starts collecting drawings from children there about what the war was like for them. And Dr. Seuss is like, we goofed. (laughs) So (laughs) this sucks and I'm sorry. 
I'm going to write a book about it. He writes Horton Hears a Who. It's very popular. The allegory is lost on anybody who doesn't fully understand the sort of like complex geopolitical structure of the time. It seems like this innocent children's book still does not absolve him of the fact that he literally recruited people to kill all across Japan. So at this point, it's post-war, a few years down the road, he's still writing books. He goes back to it, not the porn, the kid stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, by the 60s, his wife, Helen, is terminally ill with cancer. Mm-hmm. She is partially paralyzed. Dr. Seuss is like, now's a great time to take a lover. Someone who's 20 years younger than my wife. Mm. Mm. So he's been married to Helen since the 20s. It's 40 years later. They're in their 60s. Dr. Seuss's mistress, named Audrey, 20 years younger than him. This destroys Helen, right? She's like, on my deathbed I mean you're going to do this it sounds like the cancer was doing a pretty good job destroying her too but this is just this is too much because listen this is the time where you would want your partner of 40 years to say you are suffering this is the worst moment of your life we are wealthy beyond our means like there I don't have to work I never have to leave your side let me take care of you Instead, he's like, hey, you know our, like, joint acquaintance, Audrey? Yeah, I've been fucking her for a while. Helen does not take this well. I imagine she doesn't. She dies by suicide. Ooh. She leaves a suicide note. And in it, she writes that Dr. Seuss could say that she was overworked and overwrought so that his reputation with his friends and uh, friends and fans would not be harmed. Because in reality, I killed myself because you're an asshole. Yes. And a family friend called Helen's suicide, quote, his last, her last and greatest gift to him. Ugh. Ugh. Feels not good. Yeah. That feels terrible. God, what a... So... Shitty person. Helen dies by suicide. Audrey is like, now's my chance divorces her husband oh she's married too mm-hmm. and audrey and dr seuss get married within a year audrey who's still young has two young children moves in and dr seuss was like your kids got to go he sends him to boarding school he kicks the kids out the house yeah turns out he fucking hated kids <laughs> oh, well of course he did he said you have them well, i'll entertain them but he legitimately like hated being around children he said they made him uncomfortable and in mass, like a bunch of them all together, he says they're terrible. Hates him. Cannot fucking stand kids. And I mean, can I just say, a giant group of kids, terrible. Yes, I agree oh, with you. Even teachers, yeah. This yeah. is it's hard. Yes. But also, um, he loves them as customers. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sell him the books. Of course he hates kids. Yes. So Dr. Seuss and Audrey live happily for another 23 years. Um, He writes a ton of books, about 50 of them, which is roughly about the same number of uh, war propaganda movies he made as well. Oh, wow. That's quite a few movies. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) that he made in a much shorter period of time than his books. 
Um, he dies in 1991 of oral cancer. And um, most of his legacy actually comes after his death. So, you know, we were young children when he died. Do you remember that? No, no, not at all. I vaguely remember it. Um, yeah, it's so strange. I have this very specific recollection of being in the school library, like the ye- on the year anniversary of his death, and the librarians doing like this whole Dr. Seuss thing, which, um, so now we can talk about his legacy, if you would like. Yeah, please. Beyond the like turmoil he caused in his real life, or his alive life, um, he's had this long complex legacy in the almost 30 years since his death yikes okay so he died in the 90s 91 okay right um after his death read across america was founded around Mm -hmm. his birthday so that's been going on for about 20 years it's this like week where librarians and teachers and schools celebrate literacy all across the country Um, For a long time, it was sort of ushered in by the cat in the hat. Every year, the cat in the hat comes to your school and it's like, read across America. Here's Dr. Seuss books, right? Mm -hmm. A few years ago, though, a study was published about Dr. Seuss's treatment of people of color in his works, implicitly and explicitly. And the results of that study have come to the public's attention. Pretty racist. Yeah, it turns out. Turns out. So I'm going to talk in just a second a little bit more in in detail, but some examples of this racism just at a high level so that we all understand. Things like his explicit treatment of Chinese people with like exaggerated features and the use of racist terms that had to be posthumously like edited out of his book so that they could be sold. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say them, but they were then replaced with the term Chinese man Ah. or things like that. So we know about those like pretty explicit symbols, but I'm going to read a little bit from the, basically the press release of this study. Um, And it starts. So in the 50 Dr. Seuss children's books, there are 45 characters of color, representing just 2% of the total number of human characters. Of those 45 characters, 43 are identified as having characteristics aligning with the definition of Orientalism. 14 people are identified by stereotypical East Asian characteristics, and only two of the 45 characters are identified in the text as, quote, African, and both align with the theme of anti-blackness. It continues, white supremacy is seen through the centering of whiteness and white characters who comprise 98% of all characters, and notably every character of color is male. Males of color are only presented in subservient or dehumanized roles. This also remains true in the relation to white characters. Most startling is the complete invisibility and absence of women and girls of color across Seuss's entire children's book collection. So it sounds like if you're going to have a program like Read Across America, (laughs) where your whole goal is to say, hey, children of America, Mm -hmm. let's make reading fun and exciting. Potentially, the way you want to do that shouldn't be a 
person whose explicit goal at one point, and then it seems like implicit goal at another point was to like dress up the trappings of like making white characters look good and normal and making everybody who's not white look terrible and stereotypical and mm-hmm. then like making that the backbone of your reading program. Yes. <laughs> Especially considering for a large um for for many children who benefit from the Read Across America program, who benefit the most from it are children of color in schools where there is a diverse student population where like Read Across America is no longer just like let's celebrate a book. It's like suddenly every kid gets 10 books this week. Woo! There there's like yeah. sponsorship programs, right? Um and so you you really can't have that messaging, one, for white kids to reinforce white supremacy, but two, for children of color to internalize that have themselves. this internalized message. Like, this is the author- authoritative text on, like, representation in your childhood, right? Um, Especially when the world is so big and there are so many good books out there. Don't pick those. So many good books. Um, silver lining. We're figuring it out. People are having this expanded conversation. I just think it's important that our listeners know that Dr. Seuss was racist, a horn dog, <laughs> and a complex human being, and not just fucking like, oh, the places you'll go. I mean, I'm just going to say it. If it were up to me, mm-hmm. I would not make the person who is simultaneously responsible for racist war propaganda to brainwash like uneducated 17 year olds and Lorax porn, my hero. There, there are better, more well-rounded, less creepy and terrible people to be your hero. That is for sure. Anyway, so that's Dr. Seuss. Never meet your hero. Fuck your childhood, I guess. Yeah. This is Dunzo. Sorry about your memories. Tell the good people where they can find us. Well, if they're listening to this, there's a good chance they found us on social media. Yeah, you know where to find it. Forget this. We're we're not. You know you know where to find this podcast. Instagram, Facebook now. We're and Twitter at yourheroespod. Yourheroespodcast.com. Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Overcast, any place you get your podcasts, basically you can find us. You already have found us. Yeah. They, they have found us. At this point, if you haven't rated and reviewed us. The rating, that's the rating thing. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Well, no, I want to say to the, the, those of you out there that did rate it, thank you. That's, that was solid. It's very cool of you. Yeah, you're welcome. Way to go. <laughs> Wait, you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're, you're responsible for no more. But really, if you like this podcast, it would be really excellent if you would rate, review, and share so that others can find it, so that we can destroy their childhoods also. Yeah. Because it's not enough to destroy yours. You, the people you know and love, deserve to have their childhoods ruined by our mediocre book reports every single week. Yes, and frankly, to talk again to my favorite subset of our listeners. If you could just pass this around the large corner, that, that would be fantastic. I think these people would really be into this episode in particular. Others, maybe. Hopefully there's some overlap. But if not, 
get them this one. They'll like it. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. And until uh, next time. Don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. Bye. Thank you.